Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba, Managing Partner of Growth Cap. In this episode, we chat with Ryan Hinkle, a Managing Director with Insight Venture Partners. Ryan joined the firm out of college and over the last 14 years has amassed a stellar investment track record. Ryan shares with us his thoughts on growth investing. We hope you enjoy the show. Uh, so thanks, Ryan, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Um, maybe what we could do is just kick off uh, with a little bit of your background. Sure. Uh, when I tell this story to entrepreneurs, I tell it pretty much exactly as I'm about to tell it to you. For all intents and purposes, I was born at Insight. My professional career had a few summer jobs, and my last summer job was uh, to explore everything that was out there. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had studied business and engineering and had this somewhat utopian view of marrying the two, and I stumbled into Insight to be a summer analyst and joined with no expectation of being here more than a summer, a hope to be here potentially, but even if I joined full-time, no expectation of being here more than the two-year analyst period. And here we are nearly 15 years later, and I bleed inside orange and couldn't be prouder of what we built together over those 15 years. Fantastic. And, and what, was, what was it about uh, your first experience and then subsequently almost year after year that you found so compelling that you wanted to kind of commit for a longer period? I remember distinctly I had three things in mind that I wanted as a starting point for a career. One was to be impressed by the team that I'd work with, universally impressed by the team. The second was I wanted the junior role to really matter. I, I wanted the, the impact of what the analysts would do to not be cogs in a giant machine but, but really impactful. And three, I wanted to fundamentally enjoy the work. The first one took care of itself. I met many of the, the, the people I now call partners today and I was blown away. That I sit next to them at times now is a bit of a pinch me moment, but that was an easy one. It, I could feel it right away. The importance of the, the junior staff's work was also pretty evident. Here at Insight, the analysts look for opportunities. Their job is to find the greatest software companies in the world at a growth point in their, in their trajectory so that we can make the case that we'd be a great investor. And that was the role I was applying for. So without the analysts, the deal flow would dry up at Insight. And having that importance was very palpable for me, and I was attracted to that. And finally, it's related to the third one, to interact with entrepreneurs all day, every day, at the ripe old age of 22 was extremely exciting to me. And I grew up in a family that was entrepreneurial. It was a clothing store, not as good an economic business model as, as software. But understanding the blood, sweat, and tears that go into a business and interacting with that at a very junior point in a career, it was an obvious fit for my interests. And it turned out the, the obvious fit for my interests was not limited to the analyst job. But every step along the way, I re-fell in love with Insight, with our mission to help companies, and with our mission to create durable value everywhere we find it. And you know, a lot of people today know of Insight in our kind of uh, I guess uh, community of uh, growth companies and, and growth capital, uh, you know, insight is, is thought of very highly. Um, 
uh, and for those people in our audience that might not be as intimately familiar, maybe you could give us a little bit of the, the background on Insight. Sure. The, the founding premise of Insight was relatively straightforward. Software is different and software is special. That, that was the, the, the founding premise. If you sit at a generalist firm and you're fighting for allocation for software investing, you've already lost the battle because the mattress manufacturing team is fighting you for software allocation or the semiconductor team is fighting you for software allocation. And our belief was if we focus on software, we can see more software opportunities, we can move faster so we can win the deals, and then we can ultimately help them disproportionately. And fast forward now, what are we, 25 years later, over $20 billion of capital raised, those three founding premises exist across Insight from a topographical perspective. A third of our team are analysts. We find the deals through the analyst program. A third of our team are the senior professionals that only do the transacting, and we all speak the same language. We're not fighting for allocation. We know it's software. There's a, a liberating purity to that. And the last team is our value-add team. We call it Insight Onsite, and their mission is to deliver on the promise of adding value. And so the way I, I think of it is what we give up in portfolio theory by focusing only on software, we get back in expertise and can actually disproportionately change outcomes for the companies we work with. Mm -hmm. And then uh, within the, the fund, you, you it would be interesting to hear how you, what you focus on in particular versus your, your colleagues and then tying into that maybe some of the uh, recent, recent investments you've, sure. you've made or, or exited. There's really two dimensions to where one might focus. I say might because this is not a hard and fast rule. But at Insight, some of us like earlier, growthier type investing, and some of us like more complex private equity leaning, take privates, buyouts, and, and other more complex transactions. We as a firm can do both. Some of us do both. I personally have done both to, to, to an extreme. I've done take privates, and I've done investments into companies with $1 million of revenue. So pretty much the entire spectrum of what's possible. Uh, some, some of us have more thematic tendencies. I have a partner that does predominantly infrastructure, software infrastructure. I have a partner who really likes healthcare investing. If I look at my own portfolio, I have done a lot in education, uh, notably Pluralsight in structure and a number of, of, uh, of, of well-known software companies in education. We just announced the, 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 the signed purchase agreement for EpiServer, which is a, a north of a billion dollar valuation company, but yet attached to extremely high growth. That's like catnip for us. I mean, big scale, big growth, big market opportunity. We get really excited about that. And so the threads that, that are common to what I love are really related back to the education part of, of my story from a, a, a training perspective. I love complex problems and the structured deals appeal to that. Cohort math appeals to that, and so uh, I've been all over. But education tends to be the most dominant in my portfolio. Got it. And in looking back on your um, your career as an investor, are, are there certain characteristics that once you see it in a company that you say like, okay, this you have conviction that it's going to be a good opportunity for you to pursue? It, yes, absolutely. But it's hard to distill it down to a sentence or two. And, and I almost think of it as there are between 10 and 15 attributes that are good indicators of success. You never quite find all 15. 
for example, a fully developed management team, pretty unlikely at an early stage, or a highly durable technology moat, pretty unlikely until you're a little further along the growth curve, or a very robust unit economics uh, kind of built-out model, meaning very high profit potential that's well-established. That's not always evident. And so there are buckets or categories of these indicators that, that, that can be seen. But what's almost more important is what's not yet there that could be there. Mm -hmm. And things like an entrepreneur's ability to attract talent is a critical success factor to building out a management team. Do I believe that entrepreneur can do that over time? Or receptivity to help. We've talked about insight on-site and what we do to help companies. Mm -hmm. To have receptivity to help is an important indicator, not because we know the answers, but, but what, we, what we absolutely know is at some point, entrepreneurs have to share responsibilities with more and more managers on their senior team, and receptivity to other ideas is important. And I can go on and on with, with examples. So we look for patterns that match success stories in the past, but also vacancies in these patterns that we can help solve. And that is the quintessential way we can deliver on value add, is to help you solve for $100 million company scale, even at a $25 million revenue moment. Mm -hmm. And w what are you most excited about these days? What, uh, yeah, I guess we could talk about it in, in terms of uh, you know, segments of the education market or, or types of opportunities. I would say w it's most exciting and also most disappointing. Uh, but, but people have figured out that that founding premise that software is special the world's woken up to that, mm -hmm. and it's really exciting because that has led to a lot of attention in our world. We see it manifest in valuations, which are great as a seller, obviously harder as a buyer, but I think that's a net good thing, that, that the, the evolution of SaaS as a revenue delivery model for software and the appreciation that that structure is profoundly powerful for predicting future revenue and getting, in effect, credit for that is fantastic. It's allowing entrepreneurship to happen without the need for $50 million of server equipment just to get started. Mm -hmm. A great idea and a great customer reaction can help you launch an idea, and it's expanding the pace of innovation. And so where Insight sits in all of that, even though valuations are uh, obviously affected by a lot of interest in the space, by touching tens of thousands of companies per year, we see the opportunities, hopefully, just a little faster than when they appear in mainstream psyche and can get access to that type of opportunity from an investment perspective. So I I'm excited that the, the frequency of new ideas is up, that the interest in our companies is up, that the benefit of having a bench of resources is palpable to, 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 invest, uh, to, to CEOs or, or management teams. And I feel like that can continue to feed on itself for a long time. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you, Ryan, for your time. I think we covered good ground here. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you'd like to mention, or do you think we, we, uh, we, we covered it? Look, I think it's a great time to be running a software company. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always a hard question, when, when should I raise capital, or, or, or how can a capital partner help? And one of my favorite lines on this is, it's just never a good time. Because if you're really, really growing, you can always make the case to wait a little bit. And if you're not growing, it's a lot harder to raise, to raise capital. So it's really, really hard to top tick 
the exact moment to take on a capital partner and what, what, what we hope to create and what I would encourage anyone listening thinking about growth capital is the, the ability for your partner to help change the outcome for you. That is a really important part of this relationship and hopefully in listening to, to this session you can hear the passion we have as investors for helping deliver outcomes for our teams and I think that's the most important takeaway for what a partnership with a firm like ours can look like. Excellent. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you.